It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Police say the 18-year-old gunman first shot and killed his grandmother before walking into that elementary school with an AR-15 rifle and body armor and murdering little kids. Responding police officers shot and killed the suspected shooter, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos, but not before they say he committed the deadliest attack on an American school since Sandy Hook 10 years ago. Robb Elementary School is located in a heavily Hispanic community, Uvalde, Texas, west of San Antonio. Authorities are now using DNA to identify some of the 19 children murdered. Two teachers also died. And this morning, we're hearing from a parent who knew one of the teachers killed. It was more than anybody else has ever poured into my child. And I've just never seen anyone quite so dedicated. I just know that something has to be done because this is not normal and people sh communities shouldn't have to deal with this and children in school should not have to have to live through that overnight neighbors in uvalde gathered for a vigil participants formed a large circle and said prayers for the victims one woman in attendance actually helped children evacuate after the shooting all right, so that's a report from ABC. I'm sure that you've been watching the news, and this is not new to you uh, unless you've just been doing something else for the last 24 hours, 19 children, young children. A couple of them, at least one, I believe, is still missing. Um, so, you know, how that could happen, I don't know. Two adults, the second adult is Salvador Ramos, the shooter. So um, I don't need to say much about the agony of that, do I? And I just can't, you can't even imagine. It's on the, on the level, on the, you know, we as humans kind of grade uh, sin or we, we, we grade evil. So on, the, on the, the spectrum of evil, it just seems especially evil to kill innocent little children. How does one do that? Where does that come from? Well, I, I find it interesting that this is a Hispanic community. Salvador Ramos is Hispanic, obviously. Uh, and uh, so there's no white supremacy to be found in this story. I heaven knows uh, the left would like to look for it, but of course instead they're they're supplanting that for gun control. Nancy Pelosi, the president of the United States, came out with statements about uh, how we just must, you know, how can we stand for this? We have to go after the gun lobby. That's the solution. The reason that Salvador Ramos was able to go in and kill, there's no other reason. It's just that the gun lobby made guns available. That's their logic. And of course, they open their statements with these very sad stories, which are true about the heartbreak and the loss and how, how much longer are we going to have to live with this? We all ask that. But their solution is always a political solution that will give them 
more control. Actually, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will be joining us in the last segment, and I'm going to ask him to comment on that. I think you know how I feel about that. Uh, I would just say that when uh, when we disarm uh, decent citizens and honest people who want law and order, we make uh, them defenseless. And we people like uh, Salvador Ramos and criminals who want to kill will still find ways to kill. It's just that people will be helpless. But I want to go on and tell you just another part of this that you likely won't hear. I don't know. I'm just thinking you probably won't hear this. Uh, it looks as though Salvador Ramos, Ramos was an active member of the transgender community. Okay, that's all I know. There's there's a photo, and I can't even I couldn't even bring that up uh, for whatever reason. At least not before the show. I'll go back and try again. But Salvador Ramos was an active member of the transgender community, which reminds me of something that I experienced personally uh, a number of years ago. I had a very good friend, and I do mean really good friend, uh, who decided to change his gender, and we had, uh, if you, as you can imagine. Lots of discussion about that. I tried to get him to stop for for not only biblical reasons, but the reasons of harming his family. Uh, but he decided to go ahead, started taking the hormones. Uh, he was a pilot for major airlines. And while he was taking the uh, hormones to become a woman, uh, he had a meltdown as he was flying the plane. Uh, and he did things to the passengers that um, didn't, I guess, let's just say he he had like a hissy fit. Uh, he had kind of a, an emotional, hormonal uh, response to some of their complaints about the temperature. He ended up losing his job. Um, and so I, that was never public because it was litigated privately. But I can just say to you that uh, hormonal treatments affect the emotions. Now, when I talk about this story, I get huge blowback from the LGBT uh, community, and that's all right. I don't care because it's the truth. Uh, we women already know this. So when men try to become women and they start taking the hormones that make them women, they have emotional responses and they become a little unstable, like women are at certain times of the month, or even sometimes on a normal basis. If they have to have too much of this and too much of that, it's part of what we deal with. It's our emotional makeup. Um, but this is this is on tilt. This is off balance. And so who knows? I mean, I don't know if Salvador Ramos was on hormones. But he was an active member of the transgender community. What do you think? Do you think anybody in those schools that he went to, you know, suggested that he take hormone treatments if he felt he was a woman? I'm guessing that's probably the case, but that'll be something really interesting to watch. And I guarantee you that's something that you will not hear about. And that brings me to this whole business about monkeypox. Um, uh, Dr. Makari was on with uh, Jesse Waters a couple of nights ago, and I did tell you yesterday that we, monkeypox, according to um, uh, people that are researching this, has a lot to do with being spread by, uh, I don't know how to say this nicely, gay sex in male communities. Dr. McCurry talked about this with Jesse. Let's listen to this clip 11. Clip it 11. turns out that this has been recognized to be a flu-like illness followed by a rash. But the CDC has noted that a genital rash with these vesicles can actually be the first presenting feature. We're learning a lot more about how it spreads. It turns out that it appears it may be associated strongly with male sexual activity with other males. It may be that monkeypox is primarily a sexually transmitted disease that requires direct con uh, contact. So it typically would start in the mouth and then move down after the flu-like symptoms. 
But monkeypox does not have the ability to become a pandemic. I know the memories of the COVID pandemic are very raw with many people and they might be concerned, but monkeypox requires direct con contact, probably with open wounds or, or the mucosa or with a sore of somebody with symptoms. So it's acting and behaving very differently. Initially, he said everyone should be concerned, which was some of the language we heard with HIV, that everybody is at risk. But today he clarified his comments, appropriately so, that there's no need for us to do anything beyond current efforts. Okay. Now, if you look at New York City, which currently masks toddlers, there have been calls to go back to indoor masking, and recently they have cited monkeypox <laughs> as one of those reasons. Okay. We're probably going to have more deaths from tuberculo tuberculosis or syphilis, but um, they have less exotic names compared to monkeypox, right, which I mean, actually doesn't come from monkey. All right. So interestingly enough, that, that uh, little interaction was scrubbed. I couldn't find it anywhere on Fox. And these are the stories that, you know, they will kill because we can't talk about some of the underlying reasons. It's not the only ones. Uh, but I think they want to use monkeypox to reinstate, you know, restrictions. I told you that yesterday. I see the handwriting on the wall, as it were, uh, because this is their chance. The World Health Organization is a busy meeting right now trying to figure out, you know, uh, to follow the Biden directive that that we, the United States, should turn over the, health, the control of our response to some sort of a, a national health emergency or health concern, I forgot what the word they used, it was an emergency. If other countries are concerned that we have a health, other countries are concerned about us, then Boutros will have the ability to come into this country and control our response. So can you not see? Remember, monkeypox was predicted a year ago. They said we would have an outbreak of monkeypox at one of these gaming uh, games. By that, I don't mean like innocent, your kid playing Nintendo. I'm talking about these organizations that uh, kind of strategize all this stuff. And so they thought maybe we would have monkeypox in May of 2022. Of course, there are people that could actually make that happen. And we now know that monkeypox uh, looks like they were they were experimenting with monkeypox in guess where? The Wuhan lab. All right, you're going to hear probably a lot of that, but you will probably not hear that this is a disease that's being spread uh, because of gay sex and the way they do that. Uh, Centers for Disease Control has actually come out and said as much on Monday. So we'll see what happens with that. All right, now we need to talk about what happened, excuse me, in the uh, races yesterday, because we've talked a lot about the primaries. Uh, in Alabama, uh, Mo Brooks did uh, make it to a runoff with uh, Katie Britt. Katie had tons of money coming in from uh, Senator Shelby and the establishment. I'm sure Mitch McConnell had a lot to do with that too. Mo Brooks just had Mo Brooks and a little bit of money. Uh, he has a great backing. He has the backing of all the conservative groups in Alabama, but, um, you know, he didn't have the money that Katie had. But nevertheless, uh, he will face a runoff with Katie Brooks. Uh, I believe that's in June, but I'll check that date. Uh, but it's uh, in, that's what happened in Alabama. In Georgia, uh, Governor Brian Kemp held off Trump-backed challenger former Senator David Perdue. Now, per Purdue. Interestingly enough, they keep making this about President Trump. Um, David Perdue, as I understand it, actually just went dark, stopped campaigning for the last several weeks. So I don't know what that's all about, whether he, I don't know why he was doing that, if he wasn't serious about challenging Brian Kemp. My other, other understanding, and I don't have an answer for this, but we know that the turnout in Georgia was incredible, higher than in the presidential race. And so some are saying, and I think there's some proof about this, but I'm not prepared to deliver this to you, 
This is just something I read in passing, that Democrats came out in uh, full force to cross over and vote for Brian Kemp. And evidently Brad Raffensperger, too, because he prevailed as the state uh, secretary against Jody Heiss. Jody is a really strong conservative, and that's really unfortunate from my perspective. But some people think there was a little game going on there. But, of course, Brad Raffensperger uh, and, uh, and Brian Kemp were not good. When there was election fraud in Georgia, they behaved very badly, shall we say. And I'm not sure anything was ever fixed. And so, you know, so now they've won their races again. Surprise, surprise. So then uh, Sarah Sanders uh, has uh, won the Republican nomination in Arkansas very handily. She beat Doc Washburn, who was our guest a couple of times. I just hope and pray that Sarah Huckabee Sanders governs better than she ran the campaign. Uh, From all accounts, from uh, people that are listeners to this show and are concerned uh, that she she did not take strong stands, she is supporting really bad candidates, including the governor of of Arkansas, uh, and... um, I'm, I, th- but maybe we'll be wrong, okay? I hope for the you folks in the state of Arkansas who love your state so much, and it is a wonderful state, uh, that, you, um, that you get a good governor and that Sarah turns out to be that. And God bless Doc Washburn for taking that on. That was a not, e- not an easy thing for him. And, and also in Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene prevailed in her uh, pr- primary. So uh, she was uh, challenged by Jennifer Strayan, who was... Uh, supported by guess who, <laughs> the establishment Republicans who are desperate to get Marjorie Taylor Greene out of the House because she's such a pain in the neck for them, you see. And then uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, one last thing about elections. This just came up yesterday in my box last night, actually. Michigan election officials are dis- moving to disqualify five Republicans who are challenging uh, Governor Whitmer in the race. Uh, They are claiming there are fraudulent signatures, and the people that are claiming that are the people on the, let's see, it's, there's a certain board that is making this decision, but it turns out that this board is headed by Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who is, of course, joined at the hip with with Gretchen Whitmer, uh, the governor, so uh, there, I don't know the rest of that. There are some Republicans that are left that did get enough signatures, and this is not a final assessment. So they're challenging that, and that's all I know about this right right now. But for those of you in Michigan, there's a great article about it in the Epoch Times this morning. Uh, Michigan election officials moved to disqualify five Republicans challenging Whitmer. You can bet we'll be back to that, talking about it again on a different day. Okay, so next we're going to talk about this economy that's happening before us, inflation and all of it, with one of the nation's leading experts. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. When an unplanned pregnancy happens to a mom in crisis, preborn clinics are there. I was extremely scared. The father did not want the child and he had made me choose him or the baby. This mother chose life after meeting with preborn counselors and seeing her baby on ultrasound. I just felt so blessed in the hand of God on me so strong. And I knew then on I was gonna serve God and I was gonna keep this child and I was gonna love him just like God loved me so unconditionally. Preborn centers met this mom in her darkest hour, helping her to choose not only life for her baby, but life in Jesus. He was our little miracle child. God's timing was impeccable. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms to their preborn babies and helping them choose life. To find out more, visit preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Kimberly Yee, Treasurer for the State of Arizona. She is a former member of the Arizona House of Representatives as well as the Arizona State Senate and is the first Asian American woman elected to the Arizona Legislature. 1 Corinthians 4.2 reminds us of the importance of being a good steward. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Kimberly Yee in her role as state treasurer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Lee University is one of the most prominent Christian schools in the nation, and for the record, I attended Lee, the private school affiliated with the Church of God. They hold to strict teachings on matters regarding sex and gender. Lee is facing a national firestorm after the school affirmed a policy that governs how students behave on campus and online. The policy would not allow students to identify as anything other than their biological sex. They clearly believe that humans do not have the ability or the right to choose a gender. I'm not sure why the alphabet people are all that upset. Look, if you've got a problem with the Mormon faith, don't attend BYU. Got a problem with the Baptist? Don't go to Liberty University. And if you got a problem with the Church of God and their doctrine, don't go to Lee University. There are plenty of public and private schools that are more than willing to accommodate the gender-fluid and pronoun-challenged crowd. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. If you think we're seeing food price spikes right now, I think the food price increases are just starting. And I don't think your grocery bill will be $1,000 a month. I think it may go up $1,000 a month. As a farmer, what I want to you tell you, Jesse, is me. that I don't. This is this is not a transitory problem. This is chronic and systemic. I mean, I think we're going to see real food scarcity and empty shelves. That's the end game of this. Uh, my diesel prices have so doubled. It, That's crushing my profit garden. And uh, my fertilizer prices for phosphorus, nitrogen, and potassium, the three key nutrients I need to grow my crops, are up three times. Uh, I just opened a fertilizer bill. It was a million dollars. And it's one of three that I'm going to receive. It's up three times from last year. High prices are shutting down demand for ag inputs. We've just planted the crops by spreading things thin. Farmers have quit buying, and the supply chain is reluctant to restock. And so how do we fix it? Well, it started a year ago when this administration put tariffs on fertilizer inputs from friendly nations that could help us out. Our 
our energy policy, the Green New Deal, ESG sort of ideas have made energy, particularly natural gas, much more expensive. And that's critical to the feedstock for fertilizer, especially ammonium and nitrate fertilizers. Uh, President Biden announced plans last week to help uh, stimulate new fertilizer plants. But let's be realistic. That will take most of a decade to bring it online. And then, of course, you know, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, that's a region of the country that supplies about a quarter of all grain exports, about a third of all fertilizers. That, that's, that's unaccessible to the market right now. There's a lot of policy changes we need to make this better. That's the voice of Ben Reinche. He's the owner of Blue Diamond Farm and Com- Farming Company in Jessup, Iowa. You can just hear the, cur- the concern, the agony in his voice. Uh, and and I, as you listen to that, I can only imagine the agony in your own minds if, if food prices go up another $1,000 a month as you're watching gas prices increase. Uh, the end of this is something that many people are dreading and fearing. So what's happening in our country and why all of this inflation? Um, there are simple answers, but sometimes it requires people with a lot of expertise. And my next guest has a ton of that. Nathan Lewis is among the world's leading authorities on monetary policy and economic history. He's the author of The Magic Formula, The Timeless Secret to Economic Health and Prosperity. Also, Gold, Once and Future Money. Uh, he's a Discovery Institute fellow and his writing has appeared in Forbes, the Financial Times, and other places. He writes a Polaris letter. It's a monthly investment newsletter available at newworldeconomics.com. And with that, we say good morning, Nathan. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good to be here. Are you in Seattle? I'm in upstate New York. <laughs> oh, good, because I'm thinking it is really early for you. <laughs> Uh, so I um, let me just say what I didn't say, and that is you have just authored a brand new book with Steve Forbes and Elizabeth Ames called Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Isn't it interesting? It must be really interesting to you, Nathan, that uh, Americans are so uh, ignorant, I guess I could only say that word, about the economy. Do you find that to be the case around the world? Are people of other countries as ignorant about economic issues that Amer- as Americans are? Uh, for the most part, yes. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, people are not uh, educated, I guess you could say, uh, about these basic things. Although I have to say that uh, one of the problems that we had and one of the reasons we decided we had to write a book is that uh, the expert class doesn't really know what it's doing either, and that's a problem. Um, and we actually thought that the regular Americans had a better chance of figuring this stuff out than the know-it-alls who don't want to learn anything new. <laughs> well, we'll probably get into Seriously. this, but pro- probably I'm going to love everything you say that I probably would argue with you about uh, the uh, people in the know not knowing what they're doing, but I, we'll get into that. I, um, I'm i curious about this because I didn't see this in your resume because you have a very long resume. Where did you learn about economic policy and like who, who was your great influencer on this? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I come from what you could call the supply side school, which is a pretty small circle of people mostly involved in Wall Street and, and in politics and Congress. And it includes people like Steve Forbes. That's one reason we're friends. And, uh, and Art Laffer and Larry Kudlow and, of course, Ronald Reagan being the great exemplar of that period. Jack Kemp, if you remember him. Sure. Uh, and, I, and I learned my economics from uh, people like that, and it, which was separate from the university system, which of course teaches you know Keynesian socialist economics. 
Except for um, the University of Chicago. <laughs> At least they didn't. Do they teach it now, University of Chicago, Keynesian? Uh, well, it's kind of mixed in. Actually, well, you know, they're known for being so-called monetarist or somewhat more conservative-leaning, but actually a lot of that, the conservative uh, monetarist-style stuff, uh, has been revealed over the years to be sort of another flavor of socialist government manipulation. They they have a little different rationales, but it kind of ends up in the same place. And Milton Friedman said so as well. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Milton Friedman, yeah. Well, all right. So I I could talk to you forever about that, but I want to jump right in here because people are concerned and we're not going to have enough time to do everything we want to do. Can we can we quantify the current inflation rate here? Is is there something quantifiable? Uh well, the official CPI is, is has been in the neighborhood of 8%, which uh change in prices from a year earlier, uh which is the highest official readings since basically the early 80s. So it's been a pretty remarkable situation. And wasn't it like a, a just about a, a, a point one, maybe 1.5% 1. when Trump left office? Uh, yes. In, well, that was 2020. Um, that was kind of affected by COVID. But even before that, in 2018 or 2019, it was 2% or less, I would say. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, so the question is, uh, obvious to some of us, but not to others. How in the world did we get to eight percent inflation so quickly? Good, good question. And unfortunately, one of the one of the things we wanted to address in the book is is this term inflation. It kind of arises from popular speech, and people have been trying to kind of give it a proper definition for for decades, but it doesn't really work. Um, so we're not going to try to do that. But we will say one thing that I think if you want to start thinking about it, is you have to break down the actual economic processes that are taking place. And in the book, we, we separate this into supply and demand issues. And we just heard an interesting talk about fertilizer and, and grains uh, yeah. as one example of supply and demand. We, we understand this, um, which is not monetary in nature. And then we make kind of a divide and we say, and then there are monetary issues, which is really just the central bank. It's not supply and demand. Uh, in the in the regular outside the physical market, it's really just management or mismanagement of the currency. And today we're having both. We're we're having you know weird supply chain manufacturing issues uh, that are persistent and broad and haven't really. I've, I can't think of an example since about the World War II when we've ever seen anything like this. Like for example, we have everyone knows there's no cars on a dealer's lots, right? Well, when in your lifetime has that ever happened? So it's a very strange situation there. And that's real. Never. That's not Never. just that's not just yeah, exactly, right. Never. So so that's happening. And I think actually probably more than half of all the price rises we've seen are related to those issues. But then on the monetary side, we also have at the same time, uh central banks around the world, including the Federal Reserve, got very busy during that COVID period and they essentially governments spent a lot of money and to they and they they the bonds that were to finance all this spending were throughout the world largely purchased by the central bank uh, through the money creation process. So they, they don't exactly print it anymore, but that's kind of what happened. And not very surprisingly, with increase in this dramatic increase in supply, the value of the currency has fallen. And when the value of currency falls, it takes over time, prices adjust, and it takes more currency to buy things. We're having both of these things happen right now. You know, I was I I wanted to find a clip I I've played I played a long time ago. It's been a couple of years, 
It was a congressman uh, running for office. He was back talking to his constituents at a breakfast, and someone caught him on tape basically saying that back in D.C., uh, we actually don't have a problem. We can spend all the money. We are not going to run out of money. All we have to do is print it. And that was a congressman, a sitting congressman. And, and you know, we've been seeing this happen. I don't even know when this started. Uh, Nathan, I don't know when we started printing, like, play money and calling it real dollars. Can you kind of help us understand how we got to this point of doing that? That just seems on its face to a common sense person who doesn't understand complex money, money policy as silly. And like ridiculous, why would you do that? That's dangerous. That, that's a that's a good question. I, I'll try to make it try to summarize it in, in a short period. Um, there are a couple things that are happening. Uh, for one thing, you know, money has to be created. It, it has to come from somewhere. You have to make it. So just creating money by itself is not a problem. Um, someone's got to make those banknotes in your wallet. Uh, so the question is, how much is too much? In which and too much is more or less defined by does the currency con- lose value as a consequence? And un- unfortunately, we had a big change. Anyway, every, every American should understand this. I know your li- most of your listeners probably do. Is we had a big change in American economic policy, and not just America, but around the world. In 1971, it was kind of an accident, but it had a long-reaching effects, which we went from a stable value policy for the dollar. Uh, basically, we linked the value of the dollar to gold and worked very well. It's what we had done for almost two centuries up to that point. And that was abandoned uh, kind of haphazardly. And now we have a floating fiat currency system where the value of the dollar is not stable. It's not supposed to be stable. It floats. It goes up and down. That's what it means. And, there, hey, we have some central banker guy who, like, you know, makes stuff up as he goes along and turns this dial and pulls that lever. And the long-term consequences of this has been a, a trend toward declining value of the currency, dollar and every other world currency. Uh, I estimate that the value of the dollar today is maybe about one-fiftieth uh, of what it was in the 1960s, or basically we have a two-cent dollar. That's why the cost price of a barrel of oil has gone from $3 to now over $100. Um, and... But in this process, this, this process since 1971 has not really been about U.S. government like you know, printing money or federal reserve, printing money to pay the government's bills. That basically hasn't happened. It's more and more of a reaction to macroeconomic issues. You know, unemployment's high or stock market's low, you know, these kind of things. But recently, especially, actually began in 2008, but especially in 2020, we now have a new political process, which just as your congressman said, uh, we're now getting into a pattern, a very bad habit of printing money to pay the government's bills. And the government has a lot of bills these days because it's been racking up all this debt for decades. And um, for for and, and that's what we did in a very big way in 2020. And for right now, for kind of like the last you know several months, they've kind of tried not to do that. You know, the Federal Reserve saying, "Oh, you know, we went overboard. We're not going to do that anymore." But the question going forward, I think, is well, what happens when there's a recession? What happens when the stock market is down 50%? What happens when Congress wants to get reelected and they want to do another big, you know, deficit spending program? Aren't they going to lean on the central bank again to finance this? And that is kind of when, tends to be when countries lose all discipline and you get into a very serious situation. Yes, I'm just thinking about, well, we have so many examples in our recent memory, like I think of Greece, I think of what, I think it's Italy, 
uh, all these financial crises that happened, I guess, after 2008. But I'm thinking back, you know, um, totalitarian, totalitarian governments especially, and I guess socialist governments, seem to be notorious for coming into this hyperinflation. I think of Zimbabwe under Mugabe. I think of Venezuela under Hugo Chavez. What is it about totalitarian socialist regimes that is like bedfellows with inflation? Why is that? Well, it it does happen in in dictatorial regimes, but it, but it's more related. I think the more the socialist aspect is maybe the, the one of the one of the core elements. For example, many people don't really know, but Latin America, everything south of Texas. Uh, had hyperinflation in the 1980s, and it's had a pattern of very bad, not necessarily hyperinflation, but very bad inflation for the last 100 years. And it basically arises from Latin American politics, which is unfortunately much more stable and unstable and ill-disciplined than the United States has been able to manage. Um, but what it tends to come down to is at some point, they lean on the money creation process to pay the government's bills. <laughs> it's actually interesting because America itself used to have the same problem. America itself, uh, the American colonies, had a terrible history for over 100 years of printing you know, state banknotes to pay soldiers and other bills. Uh, and it actually, we, the, United, the, the American colonies, got into a hyperinflation in the 1780s. And currency went, went became worthless just like Venezuela, just like Zimbabwe, just like yeah. Germany in the 1920s. We did that. And then came coming out of that because we had Thomas Jefferson and George Washington <laughs> in charge. He said, you know, we're not going to do that. We did that for 100 years. Uh, we're not going to do that anymore. And they wrote into the Constitution, we're, you know, we're going to base our dollar on gold and silver. And that is what the United States did until 1971. They got almost 200 years, out, you know, almost two centuries, became the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And but now we're kind of getting a little more Latin American about our affairs these days. Yeah, really. Uh, I certainly uh, because they're deconstructing and destroying every part of the country. I believe this is on purpose, but I don't want to debate that with you. I really don't. But I want to know. Look, President Trump turned the economy around in really pretty short order. It wasn't this bad? It wasn't as bad as it is now? But could it really be turned around? And how would that happen? We've only got four, six minutes left, so you can see where I'm rushing you here. Well, that's a good question, and uh, I, as it turns out, I wrote a book about that—not the inflation book, but the <laughs> one previous called "Magic Formula." And I wanted okay. to kind of summarize the supply side, the Jack Kemp, Steve Forbes, Art Laffer viewpoint, explain what we've learned over the last forty years, and to put it in a form which was one volume that a high school student could understand, and even a politician. And I actually reduced it to four words, and the four words are low taxes and stable money. And that is the American formula for greatness. It's actually in the Constitution. We didn't have an income tax until 1913. Um, and if you get that right, uh, things usually go pretty well. And if you get that wrong, then you can get everything else right, and it won't matter. And so, you know, it's hard politically. It's hard to change things. But at some point, uh, it might be the time for new solutions. And we've kind of worked them out. Steve Forbes has a flat tax. People have talked about the fair tax. Uh, I'm a gold standard fan. We've returned the stable money principle that we use for nearly two centuries. It works extremely well. Um, and just remember that low taxes, stable money, you get that right, everything will be fine. 
So that's in your book, Magic Formula, which we could recommend to people. The book that we're talking about today is Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, How to Fix It, and written by Steve Forbes and Nathan and Elizabeth Ames. Now, that must make you crazy then, that they're talking about moving to a federal digital currency. That must make you crazy. Uh, yeah, there's a there's been a lot of very sinister stuff going on, and and you mentioned that for for the time being, I think that the last six months Federal Reserve policy has not been too bad. In fact, it's actually been better than most other places. But um, it's actually straight out of the communist playbook. Uh, Vladimir Lenin himself said, "Well, if you want to, you know, just destroy the capitalist economy, hyperinflation is the way to go." He, he said this, and he actually did it uh, after the Bolshevik Revolution. He wasn't Lenin was in charge, 1917 to 1921. He had hyperinflation, totally you know mowed down all the private economy, and readied the people for the institution of communist socialism. So, if you you know the theories that it might be on purpose are pretty well founded, in my opinion. Yeah, I didn't know about that quote. Um, that just I just look at the trends, you know, in communist countries and see the same thing happening. You know, starving your people, that seems to be pretty popular. <laughs> and we're moving here to, you know, people not being able to buy food and uh, to feed their babies. It is so insidious. It really is disturbing, Nathan. And, you know, um, is there any way, any way possible that regular people who are listening to you talk <clears throat> can protect themselves? Is there any way possible to protect yourself from the dangers of this? Oh, uh, well, I, it's kind of like a war, right? Or, or maybe you could say it's like winter. You can't skip winter, right? You can't just go barbecue out in the lawn all through February, but you can prepare for it, at least to some degree. And uh, you don't have to go overboard with the prepper stuff, but it doesn't take very much time or effort to store up a little uh, food, you know, this kind of thing. Have, have a little bit of, of negotiable currency in the form of gold or even just $20 bills. Uh, to have firearms, which are still a constitutional right, and little things like that. Uh, it doesn't have to be 100% of your focus, but just 10% can go a long way. I would think also, I'm always thinking about a garden, but anyway, I know that's not why you and I are supposed to be talking here, so <laughs> let me talk about some other things. Hyperinflation, What? when does it become hyper? Uh, it's really a political change. Uh, what happens is the... The central bank, the money creation process, is used to pay the government's bills. And the government has a lot of bills. We have persistent deficits. And now we have congressmen arguing that, well, we could just spend it. It doesn't matter. Um, that is the political conditions for hyperinflation. Um, and that is what creates the vast increases in the supply of currency, which then leads to extreme declines in, in its value. So we're, we're kind of you know, going down that path. Unfortunately, uh, I hope we can avoid it, but that seems to be the direction for now. There's the music. So 30 seconds. How is it that this does not affect the rich? And I think, I mean, I'm not, an, I'm not an enemy of the rich. I'm all in favor of people prospering, but that's the term. You know, people that have a lot of money, that are wealthy, how, how, do they, how are they okay with this? And the poor people just don't even have a cushion. Is it because they have money in the bank? This will affect them greatly also, right? Uh, it does. Well, we've had a funny situation recently, and asset values, which is when people say that you're you know, rich, that's what they mean, assets, right? Stocks, bonds, property. Quickly. Um, they, w they became very highly valued 
maybe because of central bank policy, very low interest rates. And, um, but that's being corrected now okay. as we speak, I would right. say. Nathan Lewis, the book is called Inflation. You won't forget that, will you? It's a great book. Thank you so much, Nathan Lewis. Sandy Rios in the morning. Hi, I'm Mark Harrington, founder of the pro-life group Created Equal and host of Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. Created Equal is all about saving the lives of unborn children. Each week, I cover the latest pro-life news and feature interviews with unsung heroes from across the nation who are making a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice. Join me every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for The Mark Harrington Show here on American Family Radio and discover how you, too, can help protect the lives of the most innocent among us. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net. And sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. David, the son of Jesse, just an ordinary giant slayer. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. David's battle with Goliath is an epic drama where the little boy stands in God's power to conquer the Philistine giant. David didn't awaken that morning expecting to slay a giant. He didn't stroll in with an entourage after a rugged mountain range training camp like Rocky and Rocky IV. He was just a regular kid bringing his brother's lunch, but fully confident in God's immeasurable power. Though he saw Goliath, David never acknowledged him as a giant, saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dared defy the Lord of hosts? When regular people are fully persuaded, fully confident in God's power, giants fall. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, and they are suffering big time right now. This is Bible League International, and 19-year-old Aria was beaten by her own father and violated by local authorities. You know what her crime was? Simply that she gave her life to Jesus Christ after leaving radical Islam. Now, she didn't grow bitter. She grew bold, and with others in her evangelical church near Cairo, Egypt, they've seen more than 300 come to Christ, but as new believers are pressured to renounce Jesus, they need Bibles in order to endure and persevere. And elsewhere in the Middle East, Pastor Yusuf and a deacon in his church were kidnapped in broad daylight. And his family was unable to pay the ransom, so the Islamic radicals, they beat Yusuf and killed the deacon. But you know, in spite of this mistreatment and the loss of his friend, Pastor Yusuf says it is an honor to suffer for Jesus. And that's why we're sending God's Word at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20 Call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or give it sendbiblesnow.org, sendbiblesnow.org. God bless you for caring. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute, the convergence of the communist and capitalist wellsprings of the New World Order, and its ominous implications for Americans and others who love freedom was on display in Davos, Switzerland yesterday. At the Globalist World Economic Forum, the Chinese Communist Party's tech giant Alibaba unveiled the next big thing in the planet's inexorable march to the digital gulag. It's called a, quote, personal carbon footprint tracker, unquote. Evidently, we need not be concerned that Alibaba is a key enabler of the CCP's totalitarian surveillance state and its Uber Orwellian social credit system. 
That's because while this tracker will monitor your whereabouts, travel, personal consumption, and behavior, offering you inducements to, quote, do the right thing, unquote, there's no reason to worry that all of that data will be collected and monitored by communist China because, you see, it's green. And you will like being green. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Overnight, as a line of hearses waited to carry off the victims at Robb Elementary School, lawmakers in Washington confronted the ugly truth. We are seeing way too many of these. We have another Sandy Hook on our hands. What are we doing? I would normally say in a moment like this, we would all say naturally that our hearts break. But our hearts keep getting broken. The violence in Uvalde coming less than two weeks after 10 people were killed in Buffalo. The FBI reporting 212 mass shootings in the U.S. in the first 144 days of the year. But Uvalde marks the deadliest school shooting in nearly 10 years, reminding the nation of the Sandy Hook tragedy and the call to action that came a decade ago. And we're going to have to come together and take meaningful action to prevent more tragedies like this. Since Sandy Hook, Congress has tried and failed to pass gun control legislation. The House recently managed to pass bills that would expand the review period for gun buyers and require background checks for sales at gun shows. But those efforts are expected to be blocked by the Senate. Our kids are living in fear every single time they set foot in the classroom because they think they're going to be next. What are we doing? Why do you spend all this time running for the United States Senate? Why do you go through all the hassle of getting this job, of putting yourself in a position of authority? If your answer is that as this slaughter increases, as our kids run for their lives, we do nothing. Many Republicans say restricting weapons is all not right, I'm going to interrupt answer. that report because we have a special guest. And, uh, but this is the point. Uh, that horrible shooting, 19 children, two adults. One of the adults, of course, was the shooter himself. Uh, in uh, Uvalde, Texas, uh, it doesn't take like 20 seconds for the president of the United States, uh, for Nancy Pelosi, for Barack Obama, and all the others that you heard on that clip uh, to start blaming the gun lobby. And I think it's interesting that we had scheduled Lieutenant Colonel Alan West to join us this morning. And before we talk about what we're going to talk about, Lieutenant Colonel West, it's so nice to have you with me this morning. He's with us uh, representing the Committee to Support and Defend. And uh, they're having an event this weekend, which is called, um, oh, I'll have to have him tell me what the name of the event is. It's the Memorial Weekend Muster. And I, we want to tell you about that. It's coming up on May 28th. But first, Colonel West, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sandy, and thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I'm a resident down here in Texas, and this is a really rough and, and tragic morning to wake up to. And I know the community down in Uvalde. I've been down there several times. I know the mayor and uh, it's a small, tight-knit community, and it's just been rocked by this tragedy. So just a word on the response of the political types. I could read their quotes to you, but you know what they are. They're, uh, it's the gun lobby. How long are we yeah. going to tolerate the gun lobby and those terrible Republicans who believe that you should be, you know, the Second Amendment has to be altered or changed or whatever. Your response to that in the face, in this tragedy. What, what your response to them? Well, the, well, the, the sad thing is how despicable they are in that, they cannot even take the time to understand what happened and really show the heartfelt 
feelings and emotions for these families who tragically lost their children and uh, the uh, teacher who lost her life. And I'm a father and a grandfather. I I just would be rocked to my core if something like this were to happen. But it goes back to what Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. But when you really peel the onion back on the shootings uh, and what happened just 10 days ago in Buffalo, this is a, a, an issue of mental illness. This is an issue of the indicators and warnings that are out there being it with the social media posts that were done in Buffalo by that shooter and then also the social media posts that were done by the shooter in Uvalde that no one took any action on. Uh, even though they brought the person in in Buffalo for mental evaluation, they released them. They had no follow-up. You can get kicked off of social media today by talking out against vaccines or you know bringing up things about the, the COVID, but yet you can have these violent posts that are put out and nothing happens to you. The other thing that we have to start looking at is we have a culture that does not respect and does not regard life. Look at what, you know, how we treat our unborn babies and look at the violence that we are exposing these young people to on these video games and things of this nature. And the other thing that no one wants to talk about, and I'm sure eventually we will, but this uh, shooter down in Uvalde had an issue with uh, gender dysphoria. And, you know, the American Psychiatric Association said that that's a mental condition. And again, if you look at his social media posts, you will see that. So all of these indicators and warnings were out there, and we have got to do a better job, Sandy, of protecting yeah. our schools. We 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 will protect a, a Super Bowl. We will protect a sports venue, an entertainment uh, venue. We will protect the Academy Awards better than we protect our schools. And it's about time that we start doing something about that. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure that Barack Obama, who's you know beating his chest over this, has strong guards behind him. Pelosi, the same thing. All of the people calling for uh, gun control action, uh, they are they're not willing to give theirs up, and that has to be said. But okay, um, and I'm so glad you mentioned that Salvador Ramos was he was part of the transgender community. I mentioned that a few minutes ago, and I I just feel like that's as you said, the the root of all of this, the Buffalo shooter too, is just serious uh, mental problems that need to be addressed. You are having an event this weekend uh, in Belton, Texas, uh, May the 28th, and uh, it's the Memorial Weekend Muster. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. What is a muster? I mean, I kind of know, but tell me. Yeah. Well, a muster is a gathering. That's kind of a a gathering for a military. Uh, That's what we call it, uh, a muster, and that's when people come together. uh, Normally, that's when you have a roll call, and uh, people answer up, and the reason why we're calling it a muster because we have our brothers and sisters that are not going to be able to make that muster, and we want to remember those who have made the last full measure of devotion uh, for this great nation. And they took the oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America, and of course the Second Amendment is a part of our Bill of Rights uh, in the uh, Constitution. So it is an opportunity for veterans and active-duty military to come out and for us to remember those who gave that last full measure devotion to this great nation, that will be happening in Belton, Texas, this Saturday, the 28th of May, at uh, 5 p.m. at Sendero Shooting Sports. They decided to, uh, you know, open up their venue and uh, allow us to be able to to honor those people who do bear arms to keep us safe. And this is a this is a family event, by the way. There's going to be prizes and food and music and activities. Uh, so it's going to be a wonderful day. And if you are interested in going, uh, go to the committee to support and defend.org. Committee 
to supportanddefend.org. We'll put that on our getter page, but some of you won't catch that. So committee to supportanddefend.org. And one of the reasons we're reaching out to help them is because I think uh, your your uh, your Eventbrite page was shut down. You had trouble with your email list. What's going on with that? Are they? Is this an accident? Are they targeting you guys? No, we we were targeted. And again, think about this: the the person that did the shooting down in Uvalde and his social media posts that no one uh, took him down for that or took those oh. posts down. But yet, because of the fact that we, as you know, we're as veterans, we're promoting an event for veterans and for active duty military at a firing range, which is a very popular place for members of the military to go to, uh, Eventbrite took us down, said that that violated their community standards. And, you know, it's just this hypocrisy that is out there that is quite uh, confusing and it's quite uh, unnerving and disconcerting. So we're allowing violence to be out there on these social media platforms. Uh, but yet when we want to talk about veterans coming together, then all of a sudden people decide that they want to be woke. All right. So just to be clear, is this for veterans and their families or is this for anybody that wants to come? Oh, it's for anybody that wants to come, but we are looking to bring in veterans, and that's why we call it a muster, uh, okay. for veterans to come in and, and also okay. active duty personnel. Belton, Texas is very close to Fort Hood, Texas, which was my last duty assignment in the Army. I retired out of there in 2004. You know what? I've had, uh, we used to have tons of listeners from Fort Hood, uh, and I don't know, they, they're probably still there, but after that horrible shooting at Fort Hood, they were told, to stop calling my show and to they you know they were shamed into being affiliated with the American Family Association because of course you know we're domestic terrorists you know you know the drill colonel so i have yeah. the, i want to help you those of you down in texas and i know a lot of you from fort hood are still listening to this show uh, and those of you around that area it's this uh is this saturday uh may the 28th the 5th to the 8th and uh, it's uh, at Sendero Shooting Sports. And if you want to get information about it, because you probably do, or share it with other friends, it's committee to support and defend.org. Lieutenant Colonel West, we have to talk longer more often, okay? I'd like to talk to you again when we have Thank more you. time. All right. Good to talk to you and good to hear your voice. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.